Welcome, neighbors. All right. I want to bring you greetings from some far away neighbors. This past week, I had the privilege on behalf of Wooddale Church, your, on behalf of you, to be in Vietnam, training 38 pastors. They're called Paul's with our Timothy Initiative. And these pastors... They already have a church that they pastor, but they're also involved training, training uh, future and current church planters. They're part of our initiative to plant 1,000 churches in Vietnam by 2022. So the 38 pastors that I was with, you provide them the training, the materials that is used for the Timothys, which are the church planters that they're training. Currently, there are about 700 being trained. And so you provide a three-year curriculum. You don't pay any of the salaries, but you provide the three-year curriculum, and they start planting churches right away. So out of that 700, we think that in the next 12 to 14 months, 500 churches will get planted. A church is considered a church if there are uh, 10 unrelated friends or family involved. So that's fairly significant. And uh, they want you to know that they are appreciative of your support for the materials and sharing me. I went and taught them a lesson, a couple lessons on practical theology. So uh, just on their behalf, thank you. And I want to tell you about one of them. I met him a year ago, actually, when I did training in North Vietnam. Uh, he's a younger man. He's, he's very severely crippled. Hard for him to walk around, but he manages. He's married. His wife has had some health issues and they were kicked out of his home. They were living in his home with his parents. Parents kicked him out when he became a believer. And then he was persecuted by the village. They had to go live out in the jungle. And in the winter, it doesn't snow there. It just rains and rains and it's cold. And uh, they were living in a little makeshift hut with a canvas top. And 
All the rain caused the canvas to just collapse and it was a mess. So TTI, our partners, went in and built them a little shack that they could stay in. But he didn't give up on his village. He kept going in and sharing Christ. Finally, uh, a year later, there are 80 new converts in that village and part of them are his parents who kicked him out. And we praise God for that. Out, out of that church, another church has been planted in a nearby village. They have 120 new converts. Now, the persecution is very real. Two weeks ago, a woman from each congregation, and it's all strategized by the enemy, uh, was, was taken and interrogated about why they became a Christian and they were beaten for about an hour. They were uh, unable to get any medical help in the village. The, the village clinic would not, would not treat them. And so a friend of mine went in and took them to a hospital in Hanoi where they're now recovering. So I want you to pray, keep them in your prayers like so many around the world. But what amazes me is how seriously they take the, the, the great commandment to love God with their whole being and to love their neighbors as themselves. They haven't recanted their faith. They're not given up because they love their neighbors. They face huge barriers. Ours are so different. Ours are so different. And I want to talk about one of the biggest barriers in our lives to really knowing God and loving God and loving others. It's found in Luke chapter 10, if you want to turn there with me. While you're doing that, I'll welcome those who are with us online and especially any global partners that are joining us via the internet. Luke chapter 10. The story involves two sisters. Some of you may know. For some of you, this may be new. I want to read it to you in the New Living Translation. It says, as Jesus and the disciples continued on their journey or on their way to Jerusalem, they came to a certain village where a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. Her sister Mary sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he taught. But Martha was distracted by the big dinner she was preparing. She came to Jesus and said, Lord, doesn't it seem unfair to you that my sister just sits here while I do all the work? Tell her to come and help me. But the Lord said to her, Dear Martha, my dear Martha, you are worried and upset over all these details. There's only one thing worth being concerned about. Mary has discovered it, and it will not be taken away from her. If you'd walked up to Mary, I mean to Martha, the day before or that morning and said, Martha, what's your calendar look like today? She was said to you, I am incredibly busy. I think Martha was just always busy. She said, I've got a lamb to prepare and roast. I've got olives that need pitted. I gotta get some fresh pressed olive oil. I gotta go and buy some wine. I've gotta bake the bread and I've gotta clean my dirty house because tonight coming over is the Son of God. Can you imagine if Jesus was coming over to your house tonight for dinner? How many of you would need to leave now? <laughs> Get things cleaned up, put the big Bible on the coffee table, <laughs> stress over missing the Vikings and Bears game or hope he is a football fan. It'd be stressful, wouldn't it? 
if you asked Mary and you said, Mary, what do you have on your agenda? She would say, I had a whole bunch of stuff on my agenda, but I just cleaned my calendar. I took everything off. You see, the Son of God is coming over and I'm just gonna sit at his feet and I'm going to soak in his presence. I'm gonna listen to his life-giving words and I wanna live his example. I wanna be like Jesus. Two very different answers from two sisters. Which one is right and which one is wrong? And Jesus gives us the answer, doesn't he, in the passage. Martha was not following the agenda that Jesus thought was most important. And that's because Martha was crazy busy. Are you crazy busy? She was suffering for what John Ortberg calls hurry sickness. You say, what is hurry sickness? Well, it's this. It takes, it takes time to love. Would you agree? If you really love somebody, you love your spouse, you love your children, love your grandchildren, love your friends, it takes time to love them. Hurry has no time. Hurry has no time. So hurry sickness is the, is the speed of life that I travel that allows me not to really be able to love anybody, let alone truly love God. Doesn't mean I don't hate them, doesn't mean I don't love them, I just, I can't really, I can't really love the way I could possibly love. And that's what, that's what Martha was really struggling with. Now, I don't want you to hear me say that she loved Jesus any less than Mary did. And that's not what I'm suggesting, and that's not what the story suggests. The trouble is that Martha lives such a busy life. And her busyness is her way of showing God love that it's a distraction. Now, before I go any further, let me say, this is not a sermon against being busy. All right? Because there's a danger with idle time. And I will talk about that. What I'm talking about is being busy and too busy to love and to know God and to love and to know others, or being busy for busy's sake. And Jesus says to Martha, look, your busyness is a distraction. Now, it's, it's not a distraction for Jesus. It's not a distraction for his disciples. It's actually a distraction for Martha. That's what he's saying. You're so busy trying to show me love that your busyness for me is actually distracting you from really knowing me, from really loving me and being loved by me. And so oftentimes, the same thing is true in our lives. My life too, I'm talking to myself as much as anybody else here. I hope God's talking to me as much as he's talking to you. My busyness can sometimes get in the way of just being with God. There's a difference between doing for God and being with God. Too oftentimes, we behave as hirelings. We behave as God's employees. We are always doing for God. And while there's so much to do for God, and we should do for God, there's also a time to just be with God and to be with those whom God loves and are so important to God. So the question becomes, um, 
How about you? How about me? Are we suffering today from crazy busy? Do you have a case of hurry sickness? What do you do about it? What is it that drove Martha into her crazy busy life? The answer to the question is her culture. Her culture. I'm sure it was part of her makeup, but her culture really encouraged it. Martha lived at a time, this is still true in many parts of the world, I've experienced it being there, where a woman's responsibility was to keep the home and to do all, all the work of the home and to provide all the meals. And on occasions when guests were there, it was her responsibility to make sure that there was hospitality and plenty of food, if you know the Middle Eastern culture. That was her job. Truly, in that culture, a woman's place was in the kitchen. Some of you are thinking to yourself, it's true in my home too. <laughs> That's the way it was. So in a sense, Martha is doing what the culture demands. She's living by the cultural rules. It's Mary who's out of place. It's Mary who's not behaving properly. It's Mary who's acting more like a man than like a woman. Women did not sit at the feet of rabbis and listen to their teaching. That just didn't happen in those days. So here she is going counterculture, sitting at the feet of Jesus. And look at Jesus. How counterculture can Jesus be? He's allowing this to happen because Jesus valued women. He valued children. He raised them up to the level that men were at. There's no distinction in that sense. He gave great value, so he has no problem. I'm guessing, though, that the disciples were a little challenged by this. What's this woman doing here sitting amongst us at the rabbi's feet? I can imagine Peter and James and John all kind of moving over a little bit, but Mary doesn't care. Mary does not care. Now, be careful you don't sanitize the scriptures. Here's what I mean. Put yourself in the story. This is a very human story. And for Martha, there's tension in the room. There's a little bit of drama that's going on here. And I am sure at some point, Martha must have given Mary the look. Don't you think? And as, as the eldest sibling, I am sure that Mary was the youngest. How many of you are the oldest? You get what I mean, right? Responsible, conscious, duty. How many of you are younger? Oh my goodness, so many of you. <laughs> and I am sure Mary didn't notice the look. And at some point, I'm guessing that Martha may have given her the gesture. <laughs> Kitchen! Help me out. And obviously, Mary wasn't picking up on it. So Jesus, so Mary, uh, Martha does the thing that, that you would not expect in a Middle Eastern culture, especially in those days. She actually interrupts Jesus. And she says to him, Lord, tell my sister to get in the kitchen to help me prepare the meal so I can demonstrate to you how much I love you. Now, I don't know if she said it with that tone of voice, but I can guess it. And her expectation is that Jesus is going to say, you're absolutely right, Martha. Mary, shame on you. You know where your place is. Go help your sister show me how much she loves me. <laughs> and Jesus doesn't say that at all. Doesn't say that at all. 
So Martha's culture influenced a lot of her crazy busyness, a lot of her, what we call, hurry sickness. Our culture does the same thing to us. Maybe it's doing the same thing to you. We live in a culture today that emphasizes and encourages and applauds crazy, busy lives. I encouraged you last weekend to pick up this book called The Art of Neighboring. If you haven't, we think we still have some at door one and two. They're like $10. I said last week, chapter three is worth it all. What we're talking about, the whole issue of time barriers. But in this book, the authors make some very important insights. I wanna share a couple of quotes uh, with you from that book. For instance, they say the problem is, in our culture, that we live in a world that values production, results, and activity. Now, I'm not against production, results, and activity. Read the parables of Jesus. He demands production, results, and activity. But life is not all about production. Life is not all about results and activity. It's easy for that to become our all in all, that our whole life revolves around, I gotta produce, I gotta have results, I gotta be, I gotta be active. And we get out of balance with that. They go on in the book and they say, we tend to run from one task to another and then to another. As a result, we speed. We become champion multitaskers. We put our heads down and zip to work, dropping kids to school or daycare on the way. We eat on the run while having meetings on the fly. We get home late at night, watch TV, check our messages, hang out with our kids, send text messages, do the housework, pay the bills, and crash. Then we wake up the next day and we do it all over again. <sighs> just reading that makes me tired. Some of you are like, you just described my life. You just described my life. Many of us would admit to that. Yes, we are on the merry ground. It's going so fast. It's almost hard to be able to hang on. What's Jesus' advice to us? The same advice he gave to Martha. And the, ver the advice that he gives is found in verse 41 and verse 42. Meditate on it later today. But in essence, he says to her, and he says to us, he says to me, look, what matters is that you choose the one best thing. And then let that influence the rest of your life. Choose the one best thing. That's what Mary did. But it's not what Martha was doing. See, there's a lot to choose from in life, isn't there? There's a lot of good things to choose from, and there's a lot of important things to choose from. There really is. It's a smorgasbord of choices and, and, and uh, opportunities and important things and good things. But I've got to start with the best thing with God himself. If I don't, it unbalances my life. And our lives are proof of it. Our lives are proof of it. Now imagine a, a family situation where you have, you have one spouse who's unbalanced. It affects them mentally, emotionally, physically, spiritually. Now if the other spouse is unbalanced, mentally, emotionally, physically, spiritually, what do you think is gonna happen to the kids? Now you got dysfunction. Ah, you've got dysfunction. Yeah, you know, I've been hearing a lot lately about children, elementary age children, suffering from stress and anxiety and fear. Why is that? Because they're being sucked into the 
the dark hole, the black hole of busyness, crazy business, hurry sickness. We've got kids who are stressed out because home is so stressed and mom and dad are so stressed and mom and dad are imposing productivity results and activity on their kids and the kids are falling apart. It's not how God intended it to be. It's all the result of the kind of world that we live in. We got to get a grip on that. And some of you are sitting there going, oh man, I don't want to hear this. I know it, I feel it, but you've been hearing it, knowing it, feeling it for years and nothing's changing. Nothing's changing. And we're all at different stages in our lives and for some it's more stressful and for some it's less stressful depending on your situation, but we all suffer with it one degree or another. Eric Hofer has been called America's longshoreman philosopher and I want to read to you a quote that kind of goes with what I'm saying. He said, the feeling of being hurried is not usually the result of living a full life and having no time. It is, on the other, it is, on the contrary, born of a vague fear that we are wasting our life. When we do not do the one thing we ought to do, we have no time for anything else. We are the busiest people in the world. And what I like to do is, is translate what he's saying there is simply this. If I don't know what the one best thing is, I will go in search of the one best thing. And I accumulate many different things And while I accumulate it, I'm trying to keep all the plates spinning, hoping one of these is going to satisfy my life. And what it does is it complicates my life. It does not satisfy my life. In the end, I lose out. There's an interesting passage of Scripture seen in this light. It it takes on a little bit different meaning. Let, Let me show you what I mean. If you want to turn to John chapter 10, verse 10, it's a simple passage of Scripture. But in the context of what we're taking, or what we're looking at, I want you to think about it a little bit differently with me. John chapter 10, verse 10. Jesus is speaking there, and he says, the thief comes, the enemy, the unseen enemy, who, who influences, and I would say controls culture. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. That's the thief's objective, the unseen enemy's objective. He says, I, on the other hand, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. So the thief comes, kill, steal, kill, and destroy. I come, you may have life and have it to the full. Therefore, what that means is the thief is trying to rob you, destroy you from having a life that's truly full And the question becomes, full of what? And what the world wants us to be full of is entirely different from what God wants us to have fullness in. And so the enemy comes along and he substitutes for fullness in Christ. And he substitutes it with fullness, materially speaking, fullness of success, fullness of academics, fullness of athletics, fullness of activity, anything and everything. Listen to this. Even fullness of spiritual activity. I can be so busy for God that it becomes a distraction actually loving and knowing God. Did you know that? We translate our crazy business into church life. That makes the staff really nervous when I say that. We have a whole bunch of people quit on us now. 
not serve. Well, part of the problem is when you only have a few people really willing to step in and serve, yeah, that does create a lot of busyness for a few people. The more hands involved, the better. But there even comes a point in time in church life when we've got to ask ourselves, how much is too much? And I've had people say to me, well, what should my balance be? And I suggest you need to worship once a week. You need to be in a worship service like this. And, and, and in a spiritual growth opportunity, small group or like a big study, Bible, Bible study, uh, or a mid-sized group that we offer, and then be serving in an area that's really making a difference in and through the church of Jesus Christ. I mean, I just feel like that would be a great balance if we could just get that. But I meet people sometimes who tell me about multiple studies that they're in, multiple groups they're involved in, and attending church, and other things, and literally it leaves them without time to ever love a lost world. Because all the spare time is spent in busyness of the church world. Trying to find that balance, trying to find that balance becomes ever so important. Look at what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 11, if you want to turn there for a moment, verse 28. Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, Jesus says, come to me, I just love that, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, which is probably 98% of us. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will add stress to your life. Wrong Bible, right? Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. How many of us, honestly, including me, know rest? Now, when it says rest, there's not necessarily physical rest. It's really more a spiritual. You see, you could be really tired, but rested in your soul. That rest equates to what Jesus said in John chapter 10, verse 10, when he's talking about fullness. They both go together. Fullness and rest. Fullness and rest. He says in verse 29, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. And here's what he says he wants us to learn from him. And it connects to fullness and it connects to rest. He says, learn what? He says, learn from me. I am gentle and humble. When you are crazy busy, you lose your gentleness. I'm a poster child for that. And you lose your humility. He says, if you're, really, if you're really living in fullness, if you're really resting, there'll be a gentle nature in you. It's my nature. It'll be a, hu- a humble nature in you. It's my nature. For I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. In other words, when you follow my agenda, when you live life on my terms, when you start with me, it's an entirely different life and lifestyle. It's really a radical message, isn't it? And the sad thing about this message is very few of you will take it to heart. You'll like it, You say, I need to get to that, and I'll do that next Thursday. And next Thursday never comes. Well, I'll do it, but first I need more, and it never comes. And it never comes. So how do we we deal with this practically speaking? Well, let's draw with Dale for a moment, all right? So if you want to take... Yeah, your pen or, or crayon out. You should always have it with you. You never know when you're going to draw, all right? Just make a circle, and that's going to represent your life. And if you're a contrary and you're more of a square, then 
Go ahead, make a square, all right? And then, you've seen this before someplace, I'm sure. Put like a little chair, we'll call it a throne in the middle. And in essence, what Jesus is saying to us is I want to be in the middle of your life. I want to be the center of your life. I want everything to start with me. So the question becomes, who is on the throne? Who's at the center of my life? What is at the center of my life? And then Jesus says to us, from this, then I want you to live out your life with my priorities, with my agenda, with my will, with my desire for you. But for many of us, Jesus is out here in orbit, far away. And he's saying, no, I want you to repent. I want you to bring in, I want you to bring me into your life, which means whatever's there needs to get out. You need to put it aside. And it might be, it might be what's there is good and it's important. But can it be, can it be better than Jesus? Can it be more important than him? Then what he says to us, in essence, is, I want you to start with me in the center, then prioritize out from me according to my will, my word, my agenda. And don't worry about what your peers think. Families, don't worry about what your neighbors are doing, how they operate. Don't worry about somebody else and, and the life they're living and the lifestyle they're living. Stop living for people. Stop trying to keep up with whomever. Live for Christ. Live with Christ. Don't worry what the world thinks. Seriously, it's okay. Most of our busyness is driven by trying to keep up with what we think is supposed to be happiness and the lifestyle that a material world says will make us happy. And we have our eyes on people and we don't have our eyes on the Lord. And the thief is just robbing us blind. Let's make it even more practical. What does it mean? What does it mean to start with God? What does it mean to love God with our whole hearts? Three things very quickly. One is, means I need to take time to hear from God. How do we hear from God? We hear from God by opening his word and listening to what he says. I'm not talking about opening the Bible and getting through it in a year. I'm not talking about doing a Bible study, gain more knowledge. God forbid, I shouldn't say God forbid. Let me rephrase that. God knows we have more Christians running around with knowledge in their mind about God and doing less with it. What you need is probably not more knowledge, just more living it out. If I could just live out, I know in my personal life, I struggle out just, I struggle living the basics out. The rest is novelty. It's living out the basics. Listen to me. And then, listen, talking back to God, talking to God. It's called prayer. But talking to God in a way that you enjoy, not getting through a list, but communing with God. And then thirdly, enjoying God. Did you know that God wants you to enjoy him and he wants to enjoy you? It's really hard to enjoy somebody, though, when they're going 90 miles an hour. Hard to enjoy God when I'm so preoccupied with everything else. Now, if I want my kids to follow this example, they got to see me doing it, living it, right? So then we go from God, prioritizing out. Then I go, if I'm married to my spouse and my children, or to my friends if I'm single, those who are close to me, I need to do the same three things with them. I need to first listen to them. When's the last time you just listen to your spouse? Listen to their heart. Listen to your kids' hearts. Listen to your friends. 
and then speak to them. Not, you know, you need to get this done. Did you finish that? Do you know where we got to be in an hour? Get it ready. Get it taken care of. Get it fixed. Hurry up. <laughs> they need to hear you speak to them about how much you love them, how much you care for them, how much you value them, what you appreciate about them. And then enjoy each other. Enjoy each other. Enjoy being a family. Enjoy, you know, these little kids up here are so sweet, aren't they? Precious little faces, precious little lives. Marcia and I, we've been watching them, you know, last night and again this morning. And I just sit there and I think to myself, I, you know, I think to myself what I hope some of you don't think, but probably do. I wish I had spent more time listening and enjoying and playing and just being with my own kids. Now, my encouragement to you parents who have young kids is don't get to that place where you wish that. I'm sure every parent parent does to a certain degree, but I'm encouraging you, I'm encouraging you, enjoy your family now. They go so fast, they go so fast. They grow so fast. Then, okay, now we can talk about neighbors. Then we can talk about our neighbors. And we have this great insert that I hope you'll take time to read later on. It's It's just some great advice here on how to be a neighbor. How to spend time with your neighbors. How to love on your neighbors. How to listen to them. How to talk to them. How to care for them. How to enjoy your neighbors. For the sake of Christ. Brian uh, Mavis says this. He says, in this life, we can do only a few things well. I think it is a good idea to make certain that one of those things is what Jesus says is most important. And what did he say? Remember the words of Matthew 22, verse 37? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. I need to start with what matters most to him. There's a a saying, it goes something like this. One life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Jesus will last. For Marcia and for me, it's been a hard and difficult fall. There's been so much death in and around our lives. My mom passing dear friend of mine that I mentored in Illinois passed away a couple weeks ago. My wife's closest friend in the world has hours left in her life on this earth. Last night I heard of a friend who, of mine who's a pastor whose father passed away. And all this death, all this death has reminded me, has reminded us that there's no guarantee of tomorrow. There isn't. And when you're young, when you're young, you think you're invincible. But as you get older, you begin to realize, you know, there's no guarantee. One breath today may be gone tomorrow. What am I living for? Who am I living for? What am I living for? One life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Jesus will last. Let's pray. Father God, this is a hard message. It uh, has a sting in it. And we feel it. I feel it. 
It's so easy for us, Lord, to get our lives out of priority, oh God, to be chasing after the wrong things, to be centering on that which, Lord, in the end, we can't take with us, has no value in eternity in the short life that we live. But Lord, there's a thief who's influencing our culture, who is stealing away our time and our passions and our desires to chase things that do not satisfy. We acknowledge that, Lord, and I pray that we'll take time to do an inventory in our lives and, Lord, to reprioritize to what matters most to you. Lord, there are just some things that we honestly don't need in our lives. We need to, we need to lose some weight. The weight of this world. So, Father, we can love you and love Love our families and love our friends. Most importantly, Father, love our neighbors. For you said to us, Lord, that, that's what lasts. Help us, we pray. We need your help. And thank you that you're a merciful and forgiving and gracious God. Is patient with us. In Jesus' name.